0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three and One who comes to us and is sent to us to be the Messiah, the fulfillment of His Scripture. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, for the past couple of weeks we've been talking about these claims that the Christian church has about Jesus. And one of the claims that we're going to be talking about today is that Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. That what Jesus is, the role that Jesus plays in our world, is that we have all of this Scripture, all of these good words from the Law and the Prophets. And that Jesus, when He comes to this world, that he actually fulfills all of those things. That he is what is being talked about in Genesis. That he is what is being talked about in Ezekiel. That he is what is being talked about in the book of Daniel. And that's essentially what he's doing when he goes to his hometown in Nazareth, and he gets to read the scriptures, much like Donna Claire did today. And he gets up, and he reads the Scripture, and it's sort of like a combo package in those days, that you got to read the Scripture, and then you got to preach. Sort of like when I read the Gospel, and then right after that, I preach. Well, that's what Jesus is doing, except that He does it in sort of an unfamiliar way to a lot of people. What He does is He goes and He gets the scroll, and the scroll is handed to Him, and He looks for a particular verse in Isaiah 61, and He reads that verse, and then right after that, He goes and sits down. And so it would be like, I just read the Gospel reading, and then, okay... and you would all probably start looking a little bit uh, what's up with him and then i then you can imagine what it would be like if i said today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and well The people must have gotten it because they they started speaking well of him. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what Luke tells us about uh, who he is. And, And that sounds like it's the beginning of his sermon because it starts off with, he began to speak. And then as he continues to go on, things seem to sort of rattle their cage a little bit more. And it continues to rattle their cage until the point that they're ready to throw him off of a cliff. And so the big question in all of this is, why do they want to throw him off of a cliff? I mean, this is your hometown boy. This is uh, Jesus who became a rabbi, and they're like, oh, he's so great, and all of the people in the church are like, oh, we can't wait to hear our boy preach. Find out what he learned at Rabbi Seminary. But what they found out is that it seems like he came to a realization, or at least the the willingness to talk about who he is. And who he is is this thing that they have all been waiting for. This Messiah, in Hebrew, Mashiach, which means literally the Anointed One. And you got anointed as sort of a sign of being deputized. You get anointed as a sign of, okay, you are now going to fulfill this role. And that's what this Mashiach was. He was the one who was anointed by God Himself in order to fulfill the role of bringing about the golden age of Israel. And so, when Jesus goes to Isaiah 61, and He reads those words that say the Spirit is upon me because he has anointed me. There's no question about the claims that he's making when he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he's saying is that today the Messiah is among you. Today, I am here. And if you start to kind of pull apart what maybe might have been the problem For those people, you can start to see maybe about three different things that could have led to Jesus being thrown off of that cliff. And those three three things are: is a sense of urgency, a sense of changing religion, and a sense that it was about more than the people that were just gathered there. So you've got those three things. This is happening now. This is urgent. This is going to change your religion. And this is about more than just you. And the first one, the first one is sort of innocuous, but it's sort of annoying for us. It's kind of the reason that we probably prefer text messages over phone calls. Because a text message, when somebody sends you a text message, it's sort of like saying, hey, this is important, get to me as soon as you can, but I can wait maybe an hour or two. But when somebody calls you up on the phone, the implied message in that medium is, I need this answer now. And so, that's why we screen our calls. And we say, ignore, that person can text me. (laughs) there's something about that sense of urgency that we don't really like. It's it's kind of like whenever a salesman is talking to me and says, well, this deal is only good for today, I usually just check out. Because I, I, I don't want to be pressured, man. Leave me alone. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We would much rather it be like, well, in about a week from now, this scripture will be fulfilled. Or maybe in a month, or you know, whatever, whatever the Mayans say next. (laughs) This is going to be fulfilled in your hearing. And so that's probably the first thing, is that there's, there's this sort of sense of urgency. The second thing is that there's a change of religion. Because all of Judaism has been waiting for the moment that this Messiah will come. And it's been structured around that. But now, if he's here, we can't do the same stuff that we did before. Church service is going to have to change. And if you don't think that that will lead people to throw you over a cliff, all you have to do is look back in history. And look at all of the beheadings and the crucifixions and the burnings at the stake before you realize that when you start to talk about changing religion you're talking about you're playing with fire literally in fact, here, if I said to you, okay, next week, what we're going to be doing, um, it's going to be very biblical, we're going to be going off of um, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, and we're going to be uh, structuring our worship service like Paul says to you in there, but it will look nothing like it does today. And if you thought that I was serious about that, there would be a good contingent of you that would probably go church shopping next Sunday. Because it means that much to us. And it makes sense that it means that much to us, because it is the way in which we receive that good news about Jesus Christ. It's the way in which we receive all of the great things about who God is. But sometimes we can get forms confused with substance. And that's exactly what Jesus is playing with right here. He's saying that the substance is going to be the same because you have been waiting for the Mashiach, but the form is going to change because I'm here now. And the last thing, and this is probably the thing that it seems as the straw that broke the camel's back with these people in Nazareth, is that Jesus says this is about more than just you. Which is an extreme departure from the way that the rabbis were talking at the time. Because what the rabbis were saying is that in the age of the Messiah, when the Messiah actually did come to be in Israel, they, this was actually a very common phrase, in the age of the Messiah there will be no proselytes. Now a proselyte is somebody who is coming to faith in the one true God, the God of the Old Testament, the Hebrew God Yahweh. And what the rabbis are saying is, during the time of the Messiah, the doors are closed. During the time of the Messiah, God is not going to be looking for anybody else. When Jesus is saying almost the exact opposite. He's saying that the exact nature and being of God is one who seeks those who might have faith. And so, Jesus is saying, this is more than just about you, people that are in my hometown synagogue here in Nazareth. This is more about even you as a people, as an ethnicity. And he goes on to tell these stories about Elijah and Elisha. And what he's saying in those stories, essentially, is that it's not the doors to the proselytes that are being closed. It's the doors to the people that have been so blinded that they can't see the Messiah. And so they get mad, and they begin to carry him off in order to throw him off of that cliff. And so you say, well, you know, those, those Nazarenes, whoo! Man, I am lucky that I am a much more enlightened individual than they are. Man, I can't believe that they almost threw Jesus off of the cliff. Wow, can you imagine? Well, maybe you can. Because, you see, that there's, there's a little bit of that Nazarene sickness that still resides in us we still have this thing where we don't really like the urgency of who Jesus is. We don't really like that Jesus is our Lord and Savior right now. In fact, for a lot of us, and for a lot in our culture, we would rather have Jesus be, well, kind of that guy who is around at our deathbed. Uh, to make sure that the process from, um, uh, from here to heaven goes smoothly, that's all nice. But I don't really have to worry about that for ooh at least ten years or so. Uh, and, and then after that I'll, I'll start wondering. We don't really like that sense of that Jesus is an urgent item. That what is happening to you today in the forgiveness of your sins and in having his body and blood is an urgent thing. For you today, and so there's a little bit of us that, that says, "I don't really know that I really see Jesus as an urgent need for me every day." And then also, there's there's another part of us that really just doesn't like the sense that uh, something might change about our religion. We we don't really like that sense, and we've already talked about that. And, in fact, what I can do for you right now in order to prove that is to tell you this. Uh, I I was talking about how we were going to change service next week. Um, uh, We're not going to. Yeah, we're not, at at least not very much. Songs will change. Um, And for those of you that had that sort of collective sigh of relief, (sighs) Or, for those of you that got really frustrated because you were like, He almost did it! He almost changed worship here! You realize how important those practices of religion are. And you realize how much that sometimes they can even get in the way of the real substance of faith. And so... The last thing, and and this is probably the thing that probably bothers us the most, is the sense that this is for more than just the people here at University Lutheran. That it's for your neighbors, it's for your coworkers, it's for the people that are uh, in your fraternity house or your sorority house, it's for the people that are in your class, it's for your professors. You see, what we'd like to think is that we're the ones who get it. We're the ones that understand who this Jesus Christ is and we can celebrate that we understand who he is and how great he is for us. But all of those people out there, somebody told them about Jesus. We aren't exactly sure who that was. It might have been a campus preacher. But somebody told them about Jesus and they just didn't get it. They rejected it, so that's great. We can just hang together and have this happy time together as University Lutheran. Because they don't get it. And what Jesus is saying is, no. My grace goes out to all people, all colors, all races, all cultures. And if they haven't gotten it yet, then maybe I'm using you to help them to get it. You see, in all of this, there's sort of a cross avoidance in us. We want to avoid the cross being something that is urgent for our lives. We'd rather it be something that we can put off for a few years. We'd rather the cross not be something that is integral to who we are, but just something that is external and religious in the wrong sense of that word. And we would rather the cross be just for us. And we want to avoid the Messiah that's nailed on that cross who shatters those things in His fulfillment of what it means to be Messiah. In His fulfillment of what it means to be the one who is crucified upon that cross. But on the other end of that, when we finally allow Jesus to be the fulfillment of Scripture, when we finally allow Him to be our Lord and Savior, when we finally allow Him to be the Mashiach who has come in order to save us, we begin to see that our fears were completely baseless. We begin to see that all of those things that we were trying to supplant in terms of urgency and religion and in terms of other people, that that all of those things, they don't really matter anymore. Because on the other end of that cross, on the other end of seeing why Jesus came to be our Messiah, we begin to see this urgency that He has for us. The urgency of that cross that is always there for us. No matter when we sin, no matter what we do, that He's always there to forgive us. And that it's an urgent thing, that it's an immediate thing. You don't have to wait until Sunday morning for me to say your sins are forgiven. That's important. But it's happening as you are repenting. And so that there's actually a good thing about that urgency. And that there's actually a good thing about religion. That what we're doing here together, with all of these different forms of worship, that they're actually good things for us that we have a freedom to worship in all sorts of different ways, and that we can begin to choose the ways that we feel are most faithful to what we need from God, and what God would have to give us. And so there's something beautiful then about religion instead of something ugly and mandated. And then lastly we begin to see the beauty of Christ not just for us, but the beauty of Christ for the people that are broken in our lives that we know. That we can share His beautiful love for us in their ugly, broken world. And so on the other end of that cross, when we stop avoiding it, we actually begin to see how glorious it is to know This Messiah, who has come to set the captives free, to declare liberty to the oppressed, to bring sight to the blind, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Amen.